Hello, Heritage. I want to welcome you to this portion of our worship service, the time where we dig into God's word together and we, we learn and grow together. If you're joining us online, I want to say welcome to our Bettendorf campus, our friends at the Kiwani Center, and those of you here at our Rock Island campus. We've been in a great series called Free. And so the last few weeks, we've been talking about how we are free to, to love, free to live, and free to be because of our identity in Jesus Christ. If you've missed any of those uh, sermons, I invite you to go to heritageqc.com, click on the media tab, and check those out. But today, today we're going to be learning together about how we are free to worship. I invite you to follow along in your note guide and take notes and, and interact in that way. We're going to start right out with your first fill-in. And it's this, what is worship? Now, I want you to write down the first thing that came to your mind. What is worship? Write it down, hold it in your mind. Get in on this Bettendorf. All right, now, how many of you thought that what is worship is singing praise songs to Jesus? Raise your hand. All right, so it's, it's about half of you. And I want you all to know that you are correct. That is part of what worship is. But it is just a slice of what worship is supposed to be. And sometimes we view it and we think that's the whole sum total of what worship is. And so if we don't enjoy singing, we feel like, man, we're out of luck on worshiping God. And I've got good news for you today. That's not true. There's tons of ways to worship God. And we're going to talk about some of those together to get today. Webster defines worship as this, to honor or respect someone or something as God. That's the classic definition of what worship is. But we know as Christ followers that there's a whole other layer to what worship really is. And so I had a great time over the last few weeks preparing for this sermon and going through and just reading what different authors and theologians, the words that they wrote to try to capture what worship of our holy, awesome God is. And it was really hard to pick one. But I settled on this definition from Warren Wearsby. And this is, what, this is what he said. This is how he captured the fullness of what worship is. Worship is the believer's response of all that they are, mind, emotion, will, and body, to all that God says and is and does. This response has a mystical side in our subjective experience, but it has a practical side in our objective obedience to God's revealed truth. It's a loving response that is balanced by the fear of the Lord, not the, oh, I'm so, so, so scared of God, but the awe and reverence that we bring to the Lord. And it's a deepening response as the believer comes to know God better. Now, I read that quote and I was like, Oh my gosh, this is what Sean has been unpacking for us week after week in this free series. And so I invite you to look at this diagram in a little bit different way and consider what if this part right here is our vertical response in worship because there's a vertical component of worship where we connect to God. And then there's also a horizontal piece of worship 
Because worship isn't just about what we experience when we come and we gather together and we connect with God. It's not just when we read scripture and we connect to God. There's a vertical component, but there's also a horizontal component. Because when we worship our creator, he fills us up. And he fills us up so much that we overflow out of that abundance of worship. And we can't help but take Jesus into all the spaces that we inhabit. So consider this, God created us out of love. And so out of love in our relationship with him, we trust him. And when we trust him, we obey him. And when we obey him, we get to know him better. And that's our vertical connection to God in worship. But here's the awesome thing. As we die to ourself, and we're going to talk about this in just a minute. As we die to ourself and we are filled up in worship, we are propelled out. We are compelled to live in faithful risk in relationships with other people so that they might have the opportunity to love God also. And so we risk for others. We serve without any thought of what it might cost us. We serve and we get to know people better. And we get to love them more. And we do that with the hope that ultimately they will get to know and love the God who created us and who created them. The vertical part of worship, the horizontal part of worship. All right, we're going to look at this through another lens. Paul writes to the church in Rome in Romans 12 verses 1 and 2. I encourage you, the scripture is going to be in your note guide, but get in your device, open up your Bible. This is what Paul says, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. A living sacrifice. That's what we're called to be. That's what we're called to do. This is when we experience true and proper worship. The message takes this verse and it just captures it in language that just shouts to us. It says this, take your everyday ordinary life, you're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, and you're walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. This concept of being a, a living sacrifice. You know, sacrifices were designed to, to really be a once and done thing. In the Old Testament, when an animal died as a sacrifice, it wasn't resurrected. Jesus was the only one who was sacrificed and was resurrected. So a sacrifice, we're used to thinking of it as a once and done thing, and yet here we're being invited to be a living sacrifice. It's this, it's this reality that we choose to offer our life. We get up in the morning and we lay our lives out as a sacrifice before God as an act of worship. And we return to him all that we are and invite him to do whatever he wants in and through us in the spaces that we inhabit, a living sacrifice. Verse 2 says this, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and his pleasing and his perfect will. My friends, we are free to worship 
as we renew our minds. We really have to start with, with thinking differently about how we worship. You know, a lot of times we think about doing stuff, but, but we don't ever act on it because we haven't really renewed our minds in the process. So what does renewing our mind look like? If we're not intentional about what is shaping our mind, the world will be, end up being the only thing that is doing that. So how do you renew your mind? There are three things that have been super helpful for me as I've walked this road out in my Christian walk. Here's the first one. This, these are tools for your worship toolbox. Here's the first one. This is the importance of the role of scripture in my life. There is no way that I can order my mind and renew my mind so that I can sp experience the transforming work of the Holy Spirit in my life if I don't ground myself in scripture and I don't understand what God says about who he is, what God says about who I am, what God says about who you are, what God calls his church to be. One of the most powerful verses in my life has been Galatians 5.1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So stand firm then and do not be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. My friends in Jesus, you are called into freedom. You are called into wide open spaces with him. We were made to be free, to love and live and be and to worship. Hand in hand with the role of scripture in my life has been identifying the lies that keep me from being free. So scripture is the antidote to the lie. And there are lots of lies that we, that we buy into that keep us from really living free. Here are some that we struggle with. No one could really love us. We can't change. God doesn't really care about us. We aren't good enough. And you can fill in the blank and write in the lie that you struggle with, that keeps you from worshiping God in freedom. But my friends, it's important to identify the lie, but it's even more important to find the scripture that speaks truth to that lie and renews your mind so that you can be transformed. Here's the third tool in your worship toolbox. It's the reality that we've got to lay down our idols. Our idols surface when we start to worship a lesser God. One of the other definitions of worship is when we love something too much, we worship it. And that really is the crux of an idol. An idol is anything that we have in our life that we love and we worship more than God. Because my friends, he is creator God and he has created us to worship. We are created to worship. We're hardwired to worship someone or something. It was put in us in the very beginning in our DNA. Idols have been surfacing since Adam and Eve were kicked out of Eden. 
Sometimes they look like a physical talisman or some kind of a, a, an actual physical thing that we might worship. But in our culture and society today, more often our idols look like something else. They might look like our spouse or our children or our jobs, our bodies, our pleasure. Now these things are inherently bad. But they become twisted and they become idols when they become more important than God. When we worship the created over the creator. The common denominator in all of these is it's a selfishness. It's, it's choosing, choosing what is meeting our need. Choosing what we're connected to. Choosing what is validating us. Choosing what is giving us significance. Rather than choosing to offer our whole lives as living sacrifices, as worship to God. You know, we are designed to create, not idols, but we're designed to create things that point to the creator. N.T. Wright captures this beautifully. It's this beautiful um, picture of, of the creator putting inside of us this desire to create. This is what he says. We are called to be part of God's new creation. We are called to be agents of the new creation in our here and now. We are called to model and display that new creation. We do this in symphonies and family life, in restorative justice and in poetry, in holiness and service to the poor, in politics and painting. My friends, these can be acts of worship as they point to the creator. We are all created in the image of the Godhead, the Trinity. We bear the Imago Dei inside of us. We all have value and worth and a need for community as we, as we bear out that image to the world around us. This image of God is represented not just when men function as fathers, but it's also represented when women mother. You know, the imagery around God as Father is a lot more prevalent in our Christian culture here in America. But Scripture portrays God in some beautiful images that are all about mothering. Scripture portrays God as a hen with her chicks, a woman giving birth, a nursing mother. Mothering means to nurture, to give life to. On Mother's Day, it's good to pause and acknowledge the uniqueness of mothering. It's not just a role or a person, but it's an action. It's an action of mothering. It happens when we give life, when we call out life in others, when we nurture life around us, when we protect, when we feed others, when we let others feed on us as a living sacrifice. It is about children, but in a more expansive way than we often relate to. You know, I wish I would have understood this when my boys were smaller. So cute. You know, I really, I struggled as a mom to find my way. I had great role models. My mom had six kids and I had a wonderful mother-in-law and they were, they were present in my life, but I still struggled to settle into that role of mothering. I never viewed when they were this age mothering as a daily act of worship. 
I didn't, I didn't view it as though I'm choosing to pour out my life as a living sacrifice. I was trying to measure up to some idea and some ideal that I had about what a mother was supposed to be and do. And I felt like every day I was falling woefully short. I had sort of the shadow effect perception of God in the presence of all of that. Like I knew about God as father and that made sense to me. And I was like, okay, but how does that inform mothering for me? That's God as father, but I'm a mother trying to mother these boys. And so it was sort of like, it was like a, a, a shadow effect thing of me bouncing between God as father and then trying to take pieces of that and translate it into being a mother. And it wasn't until later that I really settled into this realization that mothering is a sacred reflection of how God is with us. He shelters us under his wing. He gently leads those that have young. He nurtures and protects, and God gives life. Anything good about mothering finds its source in God and points to God. It says he comforts like a mother comforts her child. It's different than a father. You know, my boys have grown up. They're bigger than me now. They don't need me to mother them and nurture them in the same way, even though I try. I want to still comfort them like they were this age and make all the hurts go away. But the reality is I can't do that. My, my calling as a mother in their life is different, but I'm still mothering, make no mistake. <laughs> Anything good about mothering finds its source in God, and it points to the God who placed the Imago Dei inside all of us. We are all called to be life givers. We are all called to nurture the life around us. So here is my question for us in this moment. Who are you mothering? Who are you nurturing? Sometimes the image of God as father is really hard for us to connect to. Some of us have complicated reasons why that is. Perhaps our earthly experience with a father is a barrier to that. For those of you who resonate with this, perhaps connecting with God in this realm of mothering will free you to worship in new ways. And that's my heart's desire in bringing this word before you, that you would find a new way to experience and connect with God so that you can experience the radical transformation that happens when he fills us up to overflowing, and we can't help but ooze out in all the spaces that we go because we're so full of worship of our great God. Hebrews talks about this journey of worship in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, you know, Confidence is an area that I think we really struggle with in our worthiness journey. I think a lot of us struggle to believe that we can confidently approach God's throne as his child. That we can confidently parent as a reflection of God. 
that we can give life to those around us, that we can create as a reflection of what God has done and he is doing in the world around us. I think we struggle to believe that we're worthy to join God on his mission to redeem the world. And yet we are invited to participate in this with full freedom. He wants all of you, all of us, to be a part of this. And so Hebrews is exhorting us to, we have confidence to enter the most holy place. Why? Not because of us, because we're not worthy. It's the blood of Jesus that makes us worthy. This is the new and living way that's open for us through the curtain. That is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. And so with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. He is faithful, my friends. He is faithful. When we are unfaithful, he, he is so faithful. He loves us. Let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds. My friends, this is why we gather. This is the heart of the gathering of God's church. That we may love each other. That we may encourage each other. Don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another and do this all the more as you see the day approaching. When we gather as the church, let us be reminding each other of our value and of our identity in Christ. When we gather as the church, Let's commit to renewing our minds so that we can experience radical transformation. When we gather as the church, let's let our sorrow be turned into joy. Let us experience the moment where our heads are lifted up, for he is the lifter of our heads. The gathering of God's church is more than what happens in this hour plus that we gather once a week. Because we are the church, we do not go to church. Church is not a place. And so when you gather with believers and with Christ followers, let this be your spiritual act of worship to encourage each other, to love each other, to be as family with each other. Because the gathering of God's people is just a taste. It's just a little bite of what is to come. When we gather together, it's just a taste of what worship is supposed to be. Because in the time that we gather, we get to sing some awesome songs. And I love that about worship. If you see me worship, you know that I love it. It, it just, I think the thing I love the most about it is hearing all of us sing out and remind each other of the truth of the words that we sing. Where else do we get to do that? We don't get to do that when we gather with non-believers, but by golly, we get to do it when we gather as the church. 
This gathering of God's people is just a taste of what is to come. One of the things I love about traveling around the world and seeing the global church is just to imagine that every tribe, every tongue, every nation is going to be represented there before the throne room of God. And we're going to worship. And it's not going to be like an eternal concert that won't ever end. And for those of you who hate singing, you're like, oh my goodness, could there be anything worse? (laughs) The worship in heaven is going to be all-inclusive. It's going to have something for everyone to experience worship and adoration and connection to God. I I want you to think with me. What is your favorite concert that you have ever been to? Just think about it. What's your favorite concert? And why was it your favorite? Just think about that. One of my favorite bands of all time is U2. I became a fan in 1983 when I heard Sunday Bloody Sunday and I never looked back. I've got a bit of the Irish in me and so it resonated at a very deep level. It was on my bucket list to see you two in concert someday. And it, just two years ago, Sean and I had the opportunity to see them when they were in Chicago. If you cannot hear you two play in Ireland, Chicago is the next best thing. Let me just tell you. The Irish were there. Bono was feeling it. It was amazing. And, you know, it was this, there was this strange thing that happened in, that, in the United Center. I mean, it was packed, sold-out concert. They had added dates because it just kept selling out. The anticipation for what was going to happen, you could touch it. It was electric. Bono came out, and and he confessed right away he was sick. He, like, hardly had a voice. And, And the crowd was like, no problem. We got this. And I kid you not, it It didn't matter. Because the noise was deafening. You could hardly hear the music at times for how people were singing and and clapping and shouting and totally absorbed in the moment of what was happening. They didn't want the night to be over. Because when the band left, that opportunity for encouraging each other, for engaging, for celebrating creativity, it would be done. Guess what? We have the same opportunity when we gather, only it's not done when we leave. It should be just getting started. My friends, if this hour that we gather once a week is the only taste of worship that you get in your 24-7, 365, I have sad news for you. You're going to starve it is not enough. This is, we were created for so much more. We were created to worship the creator in how we think, in how we live, in what we do with our hands, in what we create, in the words that come out of our mouth, in what we do with our bodies. We were created for it all to be worship. So when we gather, when you connect one-on-one with God in worship, I implore you, I beg you to bring all of yourself in worship. 
Bring your joy and worship. Bring your sorrow and worship. Bring your celebration. Bring your adoration and worship. Don't forget to bring your fear and bring your doubt and worship. Bring your love and worship. There's so many acts of worship that aren't about singing. And so for those of you who are not singers, I got good news for you. On the back of your note guide, eight great ways to worship without singing. I kid you not. I challenge you, try out just one this week that's different. We can worship without singing, but I recommend singing. And judging from the U2 concert, I don't know that we really have that much trouble singing, whether we're good singers or not, when it comes to some of our, our bands that we love. But somehow when it comes to church, we're, we're trying to achieve something in our singing that probably isn't possible. So I invite you to sing away when you gather with the church, just like you would in your favorite concert. Acts of worship that aren't singing. Hebrews 13 has a list for us, and I just want to go through that here in verses 1 through 3. The first one is love. It comes right back. To this, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters, as family. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers, to aliens, to the foreigner among you. For by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without even knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison. And I want to address our friends at the Kiwani Center. We remember you. And we see you. And we are so honored to get to gather with you as the church each and every week. We feel the same way about our friends at the Rock Island County Jail that we send teams in week after week after week so that they know they are not forgotten, that God sees them, that he loves them, that he values them, that they have worth and dignity, that they bear the image of God. And there is no shame in God. And finally, remember those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering these are our acts of worship. When we do this, we worship our creator in all of his fullness. So what? Here's the question for us to chew on. What keeps you from fully worshiping? What is keeping you from worshiping in freedom? What is keeping you from worshiping with abandon? It might be an idol. You might need to lay down an idol so that you can connect to something greater. It might be this ideal of performance or perfection that like, well, when I get this figured out, then, then I'll bring myself to God and I'll stand before him in worship and then somehow I'll be more worthy and worship will connect more. 
You're never going to be perfect enough. It's never going to be good enough. Discard that and bring your imperfections to God and worship. For some of us, we need to surrender. We need to be willing to become a living sacrifice. You know, one of the things that I love to do in worship is just take a posture that helps me picture how I need to be standing and relating to God. And so if you, if you ever see Sean and I standing together in worship, we're not really standing together. And we're not fighting, I promise you. We just have to leave space between us so that we can worship as we need to. Because here's the thing, when we worship and we want to present ourselves to God, we can just go like this. And it just gives us a posture. You don't even have to be singing to present yourself as a living sacrifice to God. Sometimes we need to let go of something so that we can reach for him. Because we've been holding on to something else and our hands were full. And so we need to reach out for him. Sometimes in our desperation when we gather as the church, we just need to lay hold of the hem of his garment. And ask him to do something amazing, transforming for us. I invite you when you worship, whether you're in your home whether you're in your car, whether you're gathered with the church in a space like this, take a posture of worship that helps you relate to God so that it's not about you, but that it's all about him. I think the last thing that sometimes keeps us from fully worshiping God is our view of God. We view him maybe as an angry father or a distant mother. And, and it creates this gap and this barrier. If that's you, I invite you to go to the scriptures. Go to Isaiah. Look at the scriptures where God talks about how he, he wants to nurture you. He wants to put you under the shelter of his wing. I invite you to look at scriptures that talk about who God is, that he is El Roy, the God who sees, that he sees you, that what is happening to you does not escape his attention. He is Jehovah Jireh. He's the God who provides, even when we have need, that feels like it's not being touched. He is our loving Father. He is creator God. We were made to worship. May we experience increased freedom in our worship as a church. Let's pray together. Father, God, we are so just in awe of how you love us in our imperfections, in our frailties, in our weakness. You love us perfectly. You love us fully. You love us radically. Father, may you transform us so that we can be people who connect to you in such a strong way that you fill us up so that the people that we relate to around us only see you. Father, give us hearts to risk and to serve so that people can know you. Father, help us to live as free people because of what your son Jesus did for us. And by the power of the Holy Spirit that is at work within us, we pray 
In Jesus' name, amen.